Welcome to the Daily Bite. I'm your host, Pastor Steve Andrews. Today's text is from 1 Kings chapter 10. Now when the queen of Sheba heard of the fame of Solomon concerning the name of Yahweh, she came to test him with hard questions. She came to Jerusalem with a very great retinue, with camels bearing spices and very much gold and precious stones. And when she came to Solomon, she told him all that was on her mind. And Solomon answered all her questions. There was nothing hidden from the king that he could not explain to her. And when the queen of Sheba had seen all the wisdom of Solomon, the house that he had built, the food of his table, the seating of his officials and the attendance of his servants, their clothing, his cupbearers, and his burnt offerings that he offered at the house of Yahweh, there was no more breath in her. And she said to the king, The report was true that I heard in my own land of your words and of your wisdom, but I did not believe the reports until I came, and my own eyes had seen it. And behold, the half was not told me. Your wisdom and prosperity surpass the report that I heard. Happy are your men. Happy are your servants who continually stand before you and hear your wisdom. Blessed be Yahweh your God who has delighted in you and set you on the throne of Israel. Because Yahweh loved Israel forever, he has made you king that you may execute justice and righteousness. Then she gave the king a hundred twenty talents of gold and a very great quantity of spices and precious stones. Never again came such an abundance of spices as these that the queen of Sheba gave to King Solomon. Moreover, the fleet of Hiram, which brought gold from Ophir, brought from Ophir a very great amount of almug wood and precious stones. And the king made of the almug wood supports for the house of Yahweh and for the king's house, also lyres and harps for the singers. No such almug wood has come or been seen to this day. And King Solomon gave to the queen of Sheba all that she desired, whatever she asked besides what was given her by the bounty of King Solomon. So she turned and went back to her own land with her servants. Now the weight of gold that came to Solomon in one year was 666 talents of gold besides that which came from the explorers and from the business of the merchants and from all the kings of the west and from the governors of the land. King Solomon made 200 large shields of beaten gold. 600 shekels of gold went into each shield. And he made 300 shields of beaten gold. Three minas of gold went into each shield. And the king put them in the house of the forest of Lebanon. The king also made a great ivory throne and overlaid it with the finest gold. The throne had six steps, and the throne had a round top, and on each side of the seat were armrests and two lions standing beside the armrests, while twelve lions stood there, one on each end of a step on the six steps. The like of it was never made in any kingdom. All King Solomon's drinking vessels were of gold, and all the vessels of the house of the forest of Lebanon were of pure gold. None were of silver. Silver was not considered as anything in the days of Solomon. For the king had a fleet of ships of Tarshish at sea with the fleet of Hiram. Once every three years, the fleet of ships of Tarshish used to come bringing gold, silver, ivory, apes, and peacocks. Thus King Solomon excelled all the kings of the earth in riches and wisdom, and the whole earth sought the presence of Solomon to hear his wisdom which God had put into his mind. Every one of them brought his present articles of silver and gold, garments, myrrh, spices, horses, and mules, so much year by year. And Solomon gathered together chariots and horsemen. 
he had fourteen hundred chariots and twelve thousand horsemen, whom he stationed in the chariot cities and with the king in Jerusalem. And the king made silver as common in Jerusalem as stone, and he made cedar as plentiful as the sycamore of the Shephelah. And Solomon's import of horses was from Egypt and Ku, and the king's traders received them from Ku at a price. A chariot could be imported from Egypt for six hundred shekels of silver and a horse for a hundred fifty, and so through the king's traders they were exported to all the kings of the Hittites and the kings of Syria. This is the word of the Lord. This is really a bragging chapter about the peak of Solomon's wealth and power. And not in a good way. Um, Teach your children here, bragging is not good. We're not told to brag. Uh, Instead, we're told to put our trust in the Lord. We'll double back to that at the end of the chapter here. I'll give you a couple of ideas to talk about. Um, But that's the starting point to keep in mind as you read this text is that prideful boasting is the downfall of sinful men. So we start with the Queen of Sheba. Sheba is a part of Arabia off to the east, about a thousand miles. Uh, This is quite a distance that she has traveled because she has heard of Solomon. She has heard of his wisdom. She has heard even of Yahweh because of all of this. And she has come to test him, it says, with hard questions. She wants to know... If the rumors are true, is he truly as wise as she has heard? And in coming to him, she brings with her all kinds of riches, all kinds of merchandise, spices, which would be common to her her region, much gold, we're going to see the number here in a little bit, and precious stones. She bears gifts for the king of Israel. And as she lays out all of her questions, Solomon is able to answer them all. The, the verse 3 says, Nothing hidden from the king that he could not explain to her. It reminds me of God's hand being involved in Joseph as, as he interpreted the dreams for the cupbearer and the baker. And then as he is brought before Pharaoh and interprets the dream from Pharaoh, nothing is withheld from him. He understands it all because God is with him to instruct him in it. So that's the kind of thing we might be seeing here as well from Solomon. Now, in verse 5, she has seen it all, the glorious picture. And honestly, I can't even fathom what this picture looks like. I've seen very little gold in my life to be able to imagine an entire room coated in gold. But more than that, an entire building covered in gold, which the temple would have been and now, we're talking more specifically about his palace, which still has quite the, quite the design to it, but she's, she's left speechless. There was no more breath in her. She admits the report was true, but only in part. The half was not told me, she says. So Solomon is even wiser and even richer than she could have ever imagined that he would be. Verse 7 is a a connection point for us. I did not believe the reports until I came and my own eyes had seen it. In the church calendar here, we have recently gone through the post-Easter appearances of Jesus, and we've seen him go to the disciples, and they had to see it to believe it. 
And as they're doing that, and you've got the whole account with Thomas, who, who says he's got to be able to put his fingers into his hands and his, his hand into his side in order to believe, otherwise he'll never believe. And when, when Jesus finally appears to Thomas, and Thomas doesn't have to touch him, uh, the text doesn't record that at all. Instead, Thomas simply hears Jesus, sees Jesus, and, and declares, My Lord and my God. Jesus' response to him, uh, paraphrasing here a little bit because I don't have the text open. Have you believed because you have seen? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. And there's some similarities to this text here. She had to see it to believe it. She had to hear from Solomon herself to believe it. And until she did, she couldn't believe what she had heard. And yet, as we talk about our faith today, we have not seen, but we have heard, and we have believed because of the good news of the gospel and the Spirit working that faith in us. We are blessed because of God's work. She notes that everyone's happy. Even the servants are happy uh, because they get to hear this great wisdom from God through the king. She blesses Yahweh. And then she, in verse 10, gives him another 120 talents. He got 120 from Hiram yesterday in the text, and he got an additional 420 from his his seamen, the fleet at, down on the Red Sea there. Now he gets another 120, which again would be about $285 million worth of gold. And we read that never again came such an abundance of spices as that which the Queen of Sheba gave him. Next, the fleet of Hiram that had brought that gold from Ophir before, now they bring a bunch of wood, another, another specific type of wood here, a better type than most woods, and also precious stones, just like the queen had brought. And he turns the wood into supports for the temple and for the palace in order to strengthen them even more. And he builds musical instruments out of them. Harps and lyres will be mentioned a few times in the book of Psalms as instruments used by God's people. Then in 13, he gives to the Queen of Sheba anything she wanted, all that she desired, and she goes home. He has so much wealth that it's easy for him to do that, and it's not a trouble whatsoever. So we read in verse 14, that the weight of gold Solomon received in that one year was 666 talents of gold. The 120 plus 120 plus 420 would equal 660. So a little bit of extra gold comes in in addition to that. And then that's besides everything from his explorers, from the business earned by the merchants, from the other kings that came to him and the governors. So who knows how much gold Solomon actually brought in in, in that time alone. He turns some of it into large shields, um, 600 shekels of gold into a shield, that's a fifth of a talent, that's 40 talents for 200 large shields. That's about $100 million worth of gold right there, $95 million, roughly, to make those shields. And he makes 300 more shields, so smaller ones, out of minas, three minas of gold each. Uh, a mina is about 1 20th of a talent, so this is 15 more talents worth of gold that he expends on these. 
So the, the large shields weigh 15 pounds, the smaller ones weigh about 3.75 pounds, about a fourth of the size of the big ones. Then he makes an ivory throne, and he covers it. Ivory today is considered such a precious stone to think of covering it is crazy. Uh, I shouldn't. I don't know that I should call it a precious stone, precious material, but he does. He covers it with gold entirely, and so you've got this golden throne, this golden staircase with golden lions sitting on each of the steps and surrounding the armrests, and we're told nothing like it has ever been made in any kingdom. Even the things he drinks out of, his drinking cups are made out of gold. He is so wealthy. Verse 22, the fleet of ships that come from Tarshish, which is all the way on the western side of the Mediterranean Sea, so that's quite a journey across the sea. They bring every three years, so a rotation here, they come with gold, silver, ivory, apes, and peacocks. So a couple of uh, more exotic animals that Solomon has now in his kingdom. Verse 23, Solomon excelled all the kings of the earth in riches and wisdom. That is a promise that God had made back in chapter 3, verse 13. And he has kept that promise. He's fulfilled it. Everyone in the earth sought the presence of Solomon's wisdom. His fame was worldwide. They brought him presents to hear him speak. Solomon himself uh, gathers together chariots and horsemen. Um, so he, he compiles a mighty military force. We see that silver is as common in Jerusalem as stone and cedar as sycamore. So the expensive stuff, or should be expensive stuff, is so plentiful, it, it's like it's not anymore. As you talk about supply and demand, that's why silver was viewed as nothing in Solomon's day, as we had read earlier in the text, just a few verses before. There's so much of it. Go outside, you see all the rock in your yard. <laughs> There's that much silver to go around, too. You think of going to the, the lumber yard or, or a shop like Lowe's or Home Depot to buy wood for a project. This is like comparing the the white wood or the, the pine to the, the fancier stuff, the, the, the oaks, uh, the, those kinds of things. That kind of a difference is the, the difference between the cedar and the sycamore. The, the best trees of the world, the best lumber that they had to offer at the time, it's plentiful. It's everywhere because of that relationship with Hiram and Tyre. Now, in verse 28, we read specifically here, Solomon's import of horses was from Egypt. And I'm just going to pause there. Deuteronomy chapter 17, verse 16, very specifically forbids this in two different ways. It forbids the king of Israel. It forbids the people of Israel, but the king, from having many horses. Why might that be? Well, it's, it's a thing about military might. Do you remember the account of Gideon and Judges? I think it's Judges chapter 7, where he's going into battle with like 30,000 men, and God says it's too many. And God whittles the army down all the way to 300, and then they fight the battle against 135,000 Midianite soldiers, and they win without casualty. All 300 soldiers return alive. 
or David going up against Goliath, this giant of a man who's excelled in warfare his entire career, and he's killed by a little shepherd boy with a sling? The point of the matter is trust in God, and that's lost here in the text. It's lost by Solomon. The other thing in Deuteronomy 17, 16 that's specifically forbidden is to go back to Egypt for horses. Um, so that relationship with Egypt, as they left Egypt, was to be put behind them. They were never to return in that sense, especially not to rely upon Egypt in that way. So, the, as I mentioned, there would be some things to talk about with your kids here. What's the trouble in this text? Is wealth bad? No. Wealth is just wealth. It's just a thing. It doesn't really matter. But it's what happens when you have that wealth that becomes important. The question is, where is your trust? When it comes to his, his wealth, Solomon's trust is in his own possessions. He's bragging about all that he has, and that's not good. He's not trusting that the Lord will provide for him day by day. He's got so much he thinks he's fine. And we fall into that too. The lives of luxury we live as Americans, we have so much more than most people in the world do. Even the poor among us have so much more than most of the people in the world do. And we live lives of luxury and it takes our minds off of the provision. As you think of the Lord's Prayer, give us this day our daily bread. Do we really mean that prayer? Do we really trust that God will provide for us today? Or do we figure we, we're we good, we're covered, I've done well enough, I can provide for myself? That's a challenge, and it's a big one. For Solomon, it's also the military the pride, the lack of trust in God, that he can defend himself. He has such strength that nobody will bother to attack him. He's not trusting that God is his refuge and strength. He's not trusting that God could fight for him even if he had no horses and no chariots, although that was most of Israel's history before this. So teach our children, this is the goal of this chapter, teach our children not to trust in the things of this world, but to trust in God above all things. He will provide for us. He will care for us. And indeed he has through our Savior, Jesus Christ.